Hi there, my name is Anna Michelle Gomu and you are listening to the podcast where we take our time to seek God in His Word each day. We're currently on a Bible in your challenge reading through the entire Bible in 365 days from Genesis to Revelations. And I'm glad you decided to join us today because it's gonna be great. Thank you for tuning in. Please stay listening. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today is day 174 of our Bible in Year Challenge. You are welcome back once again on this amazing journey. We are continuing from our readings taken from the books of 2 Chronicles, 2 Kings, and also praying along with Psalms. So let's dive right in. First things first, in 2 Kings, we see a bunch of miracles that Elisha performs. And this is so outstanding, and it actually makes sense because Elijah was a great prophet. Elijah did so many mighty works through the power of God. And then you have Elisha, his successor, asking Elijah right before he was taken up to heaven to give him a double portion of his power. That means Elisha, being the successor of Elijah, would be able to perform even more mighty works than elijah did and today we're seeing a full view of that in our readings from second kings but i'll be emphasizing more on the first two miracles that i stated first of all is elisha's encounter with the widow so there is this widow right and she has two children but then she's a widow meaning that she is strapped with cash she has no stable source of income and she's about to sell or give away her two children into slavery because she's owing a debt and so Elisha comes to her rescue and he asks her okay what do you want and she says she has no food she needs help because her children are about to be sold into slavery her husband is a son to one of the prophets and they're about to literally die of starvation and this is very very similar to Elijah's encounter as well with a widow so before we draw comparisons in this scenario Elisha gives the woman this jar of oil, right? And he tells her to go and gather as many vessels as she can. But then she gathers few. I mean, I don't know the number of the vessels. It's not stated, but she gathers few because I know she gathers few because from the passage, it states that she pours the oil into the vessels as Elisha states that she should keep on pouring the oil. And once the vessels are done, the oil would be finished. So she pours the oil from the vessel into the jars and into the containers as many as she could find and then when they were all filled she asked her son is there more because <laughs> there's still a lot more from this jar and he tells her no that the jar or the containers and the vessels they gathered are finished and then the oil stops rushing and this story is very fascinating because i mean later on elisha tells her that she can sell the remaining oil to pay off her debt and then her and her children can leave on the remainder of what's left so that is to tell you like the the how miraculous this work is that you have this vessel of oil that keeps on multiplying miraculously into so many so many jars and so many containers of oils that could be sold to not only cover the woman how the widow and her children to not only cover their debt but It'll be enough for them to leave on. And then when you look at the story, right, from the third person's point of view, I mean, the first thing that will come to our mind, if you're anything like me, is that <laughs> if Elijah tells me to gather as many vessels as I can so I could pour oil, that it would never finish unless the vessels I gather finish. 
I would be spending weeks gathering vessels because I know that I'm going to get my money in threefold. But then one thing we don't realize is that we're, we we think this because we know the full story, right? We know that what Elisha says, Elisha says comes to pass. But the woman in this story doesn't know the end until the end is reached. In her, from her point of view, she sees Elisha probably as a great prophet, but when a miracle happens, it defines all logic. It defies all everything that makes sense. It just doesn't make sense that you have this vessel of oil that keeps on pouring into larger vessels and larger vessels. And so she possibly might have gathered enough, but if she had known, I'm pretty sure if she had known that this was going to happen the way it did, she would probably have to borrow vessels from all of her neighbors and all of her friends and all of her relatives, knowing that she would be able to pay them back. But one major lesson we can get from this is that we can also see our lives from a third person's point of view. Like while we are in this journey, while we're on this journey, we are facing so many trials and so many tribulations that require only our faith. And the thing about faith is that faith is mostly required where logic is defied. When things make sense, you really don't need that much faith before you believe that things are going to work out because then it makes sense you know logically it makes sense but faith is required where logic cannot be applied and this applies to our lives if there's any problem if there's any issue if it's a trying time if it's a phase if it's a season in our lives that we're passing through and we just can't seem to press stop we just can't seem to catch a break look at your life from a third person's point of view, because we know the end of our story. And in the end, God saves his people. In the end, we win the battle. So while we know the end of our story, this can help us in how much faith we can apply in times of troubles and in times of problems, because we know whether or not logic can be applied, whether or not it's a reasonable option, that God's power supersedes all logic, supersedes all reason. How he's going to help us, how he's going to save us, we have no clue. We have no idea because we can't even fathom how he's going to save us. But what we know is that he will save us. So let us have faith today. Let us, let us hold strong in our hope. And then looking at the second miracle, which is very, very much related, you have the widow of Shunammite. I hope I pronounced it right. Oh, she's not a widow. The woman of Shunammite because she has a husband, right? So this one I perceive might be a rich one, might be a middle-class one, probably might not even have so much. But we're told that every time Elisha passes her town, she invites him over, you know, gives him food, gives him shelter. So much so that she secludes an entire room with a bed, with a table and a chair for Elisha. So that any time he's passing the town, he would have somewhere to sleep, somewhere to rest and just get some privacy for himself. And so Elisha is really stunned by this act of charity. And so he asks, is there anything I can do for you? And then he discovers that she has no child. And so he tells her that she's going to have a child by this time, the following year. Well, her response is very outstanding. She says, don't raise my hopes up. Don't, don't raise my hopes up only for it to get dashed. Because I feel like this woman had already accepted her faith. You know, she just accepted that she's going to be buried for the rest of her life. And so to have this prophet of God, even though she realized that this was an ordained man of God that was filled with so much great power, it was really hard for her to 
accept a reality that was different from what she had already envisioned for herself. And to have Elijah come in to tell her that she's going to have a child just seemed very far out of reach. And so she just, she said, you know, don't, don't get my hopes up only for it to get dashed. I have accepted my faith. I'm not going to get a child. Fine, done. It's good. You don't need to keep me hoping. You know, you don't need to keep me waiting. And this can be us in so many ways. Sometimes God's word of promise in his in the Bible, in his word, that's supposed to be a source of hope and source of solace for us, can seem taunting because they just seem so far out of reach. Some of us might have just accepted our faith, accepted our faith of be it sickness, accepted our faith of be it division, accepted our faith of be it anxiety or nervousness or financial stagnancy, whatever problems you're dealing with. Some people, some of us might have accepted that as our reality. And so when we look into God's word and we see that his promises are so much different from what we are experiencing, sometimes it might be really hard for us to accept that because we don't want to keep our hopes up only for it to get dashed. We are so afraid of our hopes getting dashed that we're willing to remain in that problem. We're willing to remain in that ditch. We're willing to remain in that state of pain and sorrow. Anyways, what Elisha tells the woman comes to pass because the following year she has a child and she's super happy, super excited, and we're told that the child grows up, but then he falls sick and he eventually dies. And this woman is so distraught that she runs straight to Elisha and cries at his feet. And Elisha, unfortunately, was able to bring the boy back to life from the dead. Although it took a long process, he had to tell his um, servant, Gehazi, to take his rod, place it on the child. The child did not move. He had to go straight to the child physically, lay on top of him. The child still did not move. And then he did it the second time. And then the child came back to life. But eventually, God restored the child back to the woman. And this gives me hope. This should be a source of hope for us. That what God's word concerning our lives is, will surely come to pass. Nobody says it's going to be easy. Nobody says it's going to be straightforward. Nobody says the path is going to be always clear. But what we know is that God's promises never fail. What I know is that God's promises will never fail for me. And if there is a part of that promise that says, Be still and know that I am God. I will make a path for you in the wilderness and I will provide water for you there. If there is a part of God's promises that says that to me, I believe that it will happen. I believe that even though I'm surrounded by dryness, even though I'm in this desert land, where there is so much confusion, where there is so much problems, where there is so much dryness, even though logically it doesn't seem that there is going to be help coming from anywhere anytime soon, I know because God's word says he is going to provide water for me. I know that water will come. From where it will come, I have no clue, but I know that it will come. And I hope that you have that kind of faith too. I hope that God's word does not keep you from accepting your false reality, but helps you to cling more and even more steadfast to the hope that God is going to rescue you, that God is going to rescue all of us. And what we see is that there is this um, transition in the degree of powers of the prophets. So you have Elijah, 
first of all, who is outstanding, great prophet. Miraculous prophet does mighty works, right? And then you have Elisha who gets a double portion of the power that Elijah had. These two prophets were able to perform miraculous wonders, were able to multiply food, were able also to raise people from the dead. But then we know that there is another prophet that's going to be coming in very, very soon, who has already come in our time, that is going to supersede all of these works that these prophets have done. He's going to be the fulfillment of the prophets, meaning that every single work that these prophets did, he's going to outdo them even more. And this prophet is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ also multiplied food, not just for one widow and her family, not just for one widow and her two children like Elisha did and Elisha did, but for five thousand people in one case and in another case for four thousand people bearing in mind that these numbers are only the numbers of the men counted so we're talking about multiplying food for about twenty thousand people and more and jesus also was able to raise people from the dead like in the case of elijah he raised a child from the dead in the case of elisha he raised a child from the dead after they were about dead for about a day or so jesus was able to raise people that were already on their way to burial he was able to raise lazarus who was already buried for four whole days and you know what the outstanding things about this is that even when jesus is the fulfillment of the prophets and he's going to outdo all of their works jesus tells us that we are going to do greater works than these even when jesus is the complete fulfillment of the powers of a prophet jesus gives us that access to be able to do greater works than he did. And when we realize that this is how great our calling is, and this is the standard that has been set for us, then we realize that we have a long way to go. We definitely have a long way to go in identifying who we are, in discovering who we are in God, in discovering our inheritance as children of God, in knowing exactly the kind of powers and the extent of the powers that have been given to us as children and as representatives of God on earth. Because to have this access to so much power, to have this access to so much miracles, and to not use them in your lifetime would be so sad. It would be a waste and it would be vain. And so we ask God that whatever powers, whatever skills, whatever gifts that he has given us, that he helps us nurture them and he helps us grow and develop them so that we can be able to use them for his greater good and for our greater good and for his glory. And then moving on to Second Kings, we are seeing King Ahaz of Judah, who is, mm, give or take, I mean, it's up for argument, but according to my perception, King Ahaz is might probably be the worst king that we've read about in Judah because he is he does so many evil things not only does he turn away from God he also worships the idols we're told he rebuilds the altars you know how we were talking about how the king of Judah fell away and they had all of these altars and then you have this other king um I, I think it was king Jehoshaphat right that destroyed King Asa yes King Asa was also part of the kings that destroyed all of these high places the time the years that it took for the good kings to destroy all of the high places all of the altars and then king and rebuilds everything back 
He rebuilds all of the altars. He rebuilds all of the sacred places to the idols. He rebuilds all of the high places. And the people of Judah fall deeper than they have ever fallen. We're told that he even participates in the cult practices of the foreign nations by sacrificing his children to this idol. So he actively participates in human sacrifice of his own children. This is how evil he is. And God was so angry with him that they are thrown into chaos and violence as usual. And then you have the kingdoms of Syria and of Israel fighting against them and beating them in battle and also capturing some of the people of Judah as slaves. But they had them return later because they were their brothers and they were their kinsmen and God was not pleased with that. Anyways, the major lesson of the story is that the people of Judah fall away from God yet again. And you know, it's one thing to fall away from God. And then when he chastises you or when he corrects you, then you turn back to him. We've heard different stories of different kings that fell apart and then God sends war or God leaves them to their chaos and violence. And then they turn back to him because they realize that they can't do anything without him. But in this case, we're told that even in the despair, his faithlessness increased. Like while all of the war, while all of the capturing of his people to slavery was going on rather than turn back to god realize his mistakes he actually fell deeper into his faithlessness he fell deeper into his sin he fell deeper into his idolatry so much so that he even sought after the gods of syria because he thought that the gods of syria were the ones that were able to help the people of syria in defeating them in battle and so they'll be able to help him in defeating the other nations in battle and it's, it's just so such a crazy way of thinking but then again this can be us <laughs> i like the fact that when we're looking at the stories especially from these two books i mean so far it has been outstanding being able to read the story of the this people and the kings over the course of the years and being able to judge you know this is a good king this is a bad king but then when you look so much deeper and when we are honest with ourselves we realize that we're not so much different <laughs> from this people we're so much like this king because sometimes god is trying to bring our minds to the fact that we have lost our way sometimes god is trying to remind us that we need to keep our focus on him but rather than take correction rather than adjust and do what we're called to do we fall further away into our sin into our addictions into our weakness I hope this is a wake-up call for each and every one of us that God loves us and we matter so much to him because if we didn't, there would be no need for him to send his only begotten son to die for us. So today, let us hope in that love, that that love would be strong enough, is strong enough to help us in our weakness, to help us when we fall away from God. Thank you so much for listening this far. Please do not forget to share, leave a review, and subscribe to this podcast if you haven't. And I hope to see you guys tomorrow, same time, same place. Please have an amazing day.